Welcome to Box Up Banter. It's Thanksgiving week, and we're thankful for the NBA. Well, thank for you guys going ahead and help sticking by and watching us and listening to us. I'm Chris Okamura. Join me as always, Mr. Jordan Christmas. Jordan, how are you doing? Doing good. That was a pretty smooth uh, segue with the thankful for the listeners and all that stuff. That was that was pretty smooth, uh, given the given the it's time, true though, man. Of, I'm, the time I'm of the year. I'm amazed that anyone sits and listens to us for as long as they do. Oh, I I um, am too. I'm just saying that was a smooth that was a smooth <laughs> intro you worked in there. That was I was like, oh okay, all right, I see you. I don't do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> All definitely right, so a while, lot, definitely a lot smoother than, uh, you know. Well, I'm gonna do my own terrible segue, but it's definitely a lot smoother than what's been going on here in uh, my current residence of Sacramento right now. Yeah, so I guess let's go ahead and talk about that as their first topic here. Uh, something that we thought was gonna happen years ago it should have uh, happened Luke this Walton. off season, to be honest. Luke Walton gone and out as Kings head coach. Uh, I guess you being from Sacramento and having covered the Kings before, I'll get your snap judgment first. What do you think? Uh, it's the right move. I thought this move should have happened in the off season. I think it was pretty clear the probably the first 20 to 30 games into Luke's first year in 2019-20, he was going to be not the upgrade that, the Kings front office was looking for over Dave Yeager, which is another firing that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Um, Dave Yeager, of course, in 2018, 19, and I did a video on this earlier on my YouTube channel, but Dave Yeager led the Kings to a 39 and 43 record. And that to that point in the previous 14 years before that, that was the Kings best record. Think about that. Yeah. It's pretty and that was with a young rising core. De'Aaron Fox was on track to be one of the best young point guards in the NBA. Had a career year last year, but is sort of struggling this year. But Vlade, for whatever reason, had beef with Dave Yeager. Decided to fire him after that season. And he, because he had his eye set on Luke Walton. That was Vlade's like number one choice from Jump Street. He always wanted Luke Walton. And it was a disaster the minute it happened. Luke Walton, you remember this with the uh, when he was the coach of the Young Lakers in the 2017-18 season, that year where it was Lonzo Ball, Julius Randle, um, Jordan Clarkson, Brandon Ingram. Like it was all we were all impressed because we were like, "Wow, the Lakers are 13th in defensive rating. You can't get young kids like that to coach uh, to pick up defense like that. That's pretty impressive. Oh my God. Oh my God. Turns out they're just good. It turns out. Yeah. The young Lakers are good. And Luke Walton in the years he was in Sacramento, the Kings ranked basically in the bottom third in, uh, in defensive rating this year, they were 25th last year. They were the worst defensive rating, the second worst defensive rating in NBA history, history, like etched in stone. Across all annals of eras, the That's Kings pretty insane to think about. were the second worst defensive rating in 2020-2021 in NBA history. And then, of course, in his first year, they were 20th. And not only that, the Kings were 
20th in pace in Luke Walton's first year and barely getting into the top 10 these, these last two seasons when Dave Yeager had him third. And the Kings have a lot more personnel to run transition and all that stuff this year. And it just wasn't working. It was time to go. It was time for him to go. And really, they should have made this move in the offseason. I don't understand why. But yeah, why why do why give him a fourth of the season? Yeah, because we're what seventeen games in, we're pre- we're approaching the quarter mark, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. But I don't understand why you're going to give him this short of a leash if you just weren't going to fire him in the off season. Like this was just well, the a, thing is like it's it's a short leash. Plus, like you're not expecting it to be like you're not. It's not like you're a top team in the NBA and failing. Like you're they're playing. Like Kings basketball is not supposed. You're not supposed to be like trying to win this year. So like, why would you? I actually disagree. I think the Kings were rightfully thought they could play. I thought they should have been. If I said um, I've said it before, but if the Kings didn't make the play in this year, it was an abject failure. Especially given how more open the Western Conference is now. I think I think you would agree that it's a lot more open than in years past. The Kings definitely had the talent up and down the roster, but for them to be 17th in offense and 25th in defense, when they were a top 11 offense last year while having the worst defense ever, um, and then they added more talent and more more guards that could do different things, like the Kings should be in some ways – the bizarro calves of the West. They have a they have a weird collection of players, but they could do different things. And if they just they can somehow find themselves in the right combinations in a any given point in the game, they were just underperforming. And it was time for Luke to go. It, and more importantly, I think in about a year or two, I think Kings fans need to start. Well, they already have started blaming the ownership, but they need to look at the ownership under Vivek Ranadive because ever since he took over or he bought the Kings in spring of 2013, he's been, this is his third front office regime. This is his, this this upcoming summer when he hires, when uh, the Kings hire another head coach, that'll be the sixth head coach under Vivek Ranadive. Two of those coaches, Mike Malone and Dave Yeager got unjustly fired. Mike Malone in 2013-14 had the Kings off to a nine, a five and one start, and then a nine and five start, and then Demarcus Cousins got meningitis, and the Kings started yeah. losing a bunch, and then they decided to fire Mike Malone for no fucking reason, no good reason whatsoever. Not to mention bringing in Vlade Divac and him taking Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic, the awful 2015 trade they did with the Sixers to make free up cap space to sign fucking Rajon Rondo and Carl Landry, et cetera, et cetera. Like that was such a weird one. That was a weird one. Hey, it worked out for us. Well, I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> I could go on. Th- I could go on through a bunch of Kings decisions, but it would take up this whole podcast. But eventually, if this front office regime with Monty McNair, who is a Daryl Morey disciple, I liked the hire at the time. It was a smart hire. Seems like Vivek is now more hands off with this front office regime. If this front office doesn't work out. And Monty McNair, by the way, hasn't hired his own head coach yet, which is why I thought Luke was should have gotten the axe anyway. Just pick your guy, you know. Um, right. If this doesn't work out, it's time for fans to really start holding Vivek Ranadive's feet to the fire. With what this. is it? Is it is it hiring the wrong people, or is it is it like cost cutting? Like what is it? It's definitely not cost cutting. Uh, Vivek is one of the more. I I have a feeling. 
I don't know Vivek personally, and I've only run across him in hallways, like, at random times whenever, like, I'm going to the media room and back and all that stuff. Um, right. But, I don't expect you to have a personal relationship. No, no, with the no. Owner. I'm just, I want to emphasize that for the listener. Like, if I could cover the Kings full time, trust me, I would. I just with my job and stuff, I have to do it on the side and when I can. Um, I get the impression that Vivek really cares and wants to spend money on the Kings. Like, he's been willing to spend, like, think of all the head coaches he's had to pay <laughs> and um, after firing them because they still are, because he still has to pay out their contract and stuff. I think it's more so new owner syndrome at first right you buy the team like bill simmons coined this phrase uh and it's very apt but you know you're a new owner you're the new owner in town you want to make your impression so i think you got a little too hands on and then wanting vlade divac and backing him for so long and being in his decision making somewhat um especially you know siding with divac over the dave yeager thing um the they've had some you know they butted heads quite a bit uh I just it, it just seemed like he was a little too hands-on and now with you know an adult I think I think Monty McNair is going to be a good president of basketball operations so I think he's more hands-off now and he's going to try that method and if that if Monty McNair doesn't work out then we're going to have to look at how he hires people or something because something the water is not right in Sacramento even even um with new ownership shifting from the Maloofs and even saving the city from going to Seattle like the Kings are still here and still bad like it's it's something's got to give yeah Totally with you, and I think this is the move in the right direction. Obviously, Luke Walton has been disappointing as a coach. Yeah, it doesn't. It um, does. Let me let me be clear. It doesn't fix everything for the Kings because that's the that's the I guess the uh, overarching reaction uh, from some segments of the fan base, where it's like, oh, you know, it's not really going to change anything. Well, it'll change in the sense that you have a better coach in Alvin Gentry, and at least in the short term. He will, I hope, will do common sense things to tailor this, tailor his game plan and system or temporary system. However, how how he transitions to tailoring this team to this roster strengths is going to be interesting. But I hope he does some common sense things like make them play faster um, and try a better defensive scheme. Uh, play better lineups because I think the Kings have a lot of better lineups like just simple stuff that'll change short term that I think will help them but long term we're gonna have to see in the next year or two yeah totally agree so I guess let's get into another topic here real quick uh can we just talk about the brawl that happened that almost happened with Isaiah Stewart going ham uh yeah I that was a whole lot of that was a whole lot. That of, was well. I actually think Stewart did want the smoke because oh, he wanted it, and like that was the thing where it's like most that the reason I'm bringing it up is because it's so surprising to me. Of like ninety nine percent of the time when NBA players do that, it's like a show, right? It's like a tough guy show. I think he did. Isaiah I, Stewart wanted the smoke. <laughs> yeah, I think he did want the smoke. And uh, look, I did LeBron mean to hit Isaiah Stewart in the face? No, but he meant to hit him. And yeah, this has been my problem. Like Dwayne Wade has had this too. like LeBron and Dwayne Wade and somebody on Reddit posted a series of 
video instances where I'm just like, oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, yeah, I remember this happening. Where LeBron does dirty shit. He's not, yeah. I'm not going to say he's a dirty player, but he does dirty shit. Like last year, for example, pushing Embiid midair while he was going for a dunk because he realized he couldn't block it and he shoved him midair and he landed on his back. That was dirty. And I actually thought that should have been a flagrant too, but he stayed in the game. Um, there's been other, in, like in the finals where he shoved Sean Livingston in the back while he was going full speed for a layup. There's just multiple instances like that where LeBron does that type of shit out of frustration. And yeah, you could be frustrated, but then you get Isaiah Stewart bleeding by his eye socket and wanting to kick your ass. And I really do think he wanted to kick his ass. Um, it was a little bit of a show, I think. Um, running, you know, running around and, you know, trucking people that, <laughs> while being held back. Um, but these guys don't want to fight, man. Like, it's, there's, I feel like there's very few people in the NBA that want to fight, unless you're Rondo and Chris Paul and you, <laughs> you show. Oh, them. they, they legit want to fight. They, they legit, they, le well, they, they legit want to fight and they have fought and gotten suspended <laughs> for it. Yes. Um, so I don't know. It, it was, uh, it was definitely entertaining. The, the, I'm taking a social media break, so I didn't see the, twitter chicanery that was happening <laughs> i love the um, i love my favorite moment of that entire thing and i just want to bring it up was the the fake out that he tried that oh yeah right of like the all right i'm cool i'm cool i'm cool and then he just like doubled back and ran around <laughs> and trying to get tried, a shot in or i saw a video where Mello was like hey why is Corey over here and Corey was actually <laughs> trying to walk into the bet the lakers side of the locker room to intercept isaiah stewart because he saw stewart like rant he's like all right i'm cool and then he just started running to the back <laughs> yeah it's so good it's a Corey joseph wanted to meet isaiah stewart the other way <laughs> to, but the video you could just hear Melo be like talking to Scott Foster and then he's like hey wait why is he over here <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny dude but you know these guys what a, what a weird series of events fight. my friend no. sent me a these my friend sent me a tweet it was a that um my friend discord messaged me a tweet and it was Russell Westbrook like freeze framed and he was like had his dukes up and it looked like the why I ought to <laughs> Stance. Yeah, and somebody and somebody else said like he he looks like the Fighting Irish logo <laughs> because yeah. because the Fighting Irish has that leprechaun who has his dukes up like it's the 1940s. <laughs> it, it's so good. It was it was funny, but you know, uh, I think what's more hilarious is that the Lakers had to come back from 17 down. Oh with, my god! With it two is... top oh, two alleged top 75 players of all time <sighs> on on the squad. It's it's depressing. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. You're going to be dealing with shots all season. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I'm I'm fine with it. Again, to me, it's a thing of like the THT bump helped. Like you can tell they look more comfortable with THT out there, and like it's just another ball handler. And like the thing is, like we're in games fine, but like damn, I've never seen a team throw games faster when the bench comes in. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, they legitimately they'll give up like 10 point 15 point leads out of like thin air and like out of pure like i don't even know if like lethargic nature is like the word to use it is literally just like i'll uh they just stop caring at a certain point and it's just like what what and they'll give up like 10 15 point leads in like a matter of well, also like, it took two, 
three minutes. It's like Russell Westbrook getting hot, and those days are far and few in between now. Yeah, um, dude, and I don't know if that's a, a viable solution. Before before THC came back and before LeBron came back, there was a stretch of games where the only legitimately the only way we won them was because Carmelo Anthony got hot. That's not, a, and see, that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. See, this is this is why I'm out on the Lakers, even with LeBron. Like, there's it, a few things for me, and I think I've mentioned them before. But LeBron's turning 37, and I'm not gonna lie, the I understand that he was in the MVP discussion, top three, like a legit MVP candidate last year, up until about February, up until his high ankle sprain, pretty much last year. Yeah. But then he's got another ankle, an abdominal injury. Um, he it's, starting is, to, it's starting to catch up with him. It's starting to catch up with him. He's not the 27-7-7 guy anymore. He is now, what is he on the season now, like 23-6-6? Six six? It's kind of, he's still a very good player. But he's just not the second or third best small, he's, pro, he's not the third best small or forward in the nba right now or he's probably the third best i should say yeah it's Uh, probably it's probably durant and durant durant Giannis, uh, and then i would put Kawhi in there if he was healthy but that's not the case right now um but lebron's age what is westbrook going to do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and if you you know well obviously you watch the games but if you watch the games and uh read film breakdown like kevin o'connor had a great section on the lakers today in his six things basically it's a six things he's trends he's been tracking in the nba um and there's just plays where like the anthony davis lebron pick and roll the points per possession is obviously way better when russell westbrook is off the court versus when he's on the court so they haven't solved that part yet what the hell is russ doing off the ball which is nothing they tried having Russell Westbrook screen more for LeBron which that that's worked a little bit but Russell Westbrook again is stubborn and doesn't yeah. like doing that stuff um and really so the, the, it's, the it's I'm, was, I'm just oh. concerned there's a lot of things I give pause to about the Lakers where I'm just like all right I don't think this team's coming out of the west or even sure. the second I think round, that, I think I think I think all of those concerns are super fucking valid I think the problem with me is like I see all the concerns and I see all the stuff, but I also see like just the lack of energy and the lack of like care. And so like, I want to see them try. And the thing is like, I brought this up last year. Like they just didn't try. And like, Hey, if they lose and they don't try it, that's a, that's fucking their problem. But like, it's sort of like the false hope thing of like, fuck dude, can we see them at least try a little bit and see what they can do? Cause there's certain times where like, Oh, they decide to turn it on. It's like, Oh, now they look fucking fantastic. And now they're shutting out teams. And then like, there's certain, there's like, there's stretches where it's like, oh, okay. Now, like now they care. Okay, great. And they look fine, but it just never happens. And then there's stretches Over... where they lose to OKC twice and have to scrape out of Houston. <laughs> it's games 100%. Houston. Yeah. It's, it, I and think the, that that was the thing everybody you, saw. You know, coming you know, where, I'm this, going, you know yeah. where I'm coming from, right? Like, it's, I know it's not a thing of like, it's, it's there's just definitely like, some I, eff- I think you're there what you say to your point about effort and stuff i think that stuff is true but i just think from the beginning there was just this structural problem that i everybody yes, saw 100%. when everybody when the I lakers say, traded for russell westbrook i will say that i will give russ some credit because he is i have noticed at, 
Oh, they're trying different I stuff. I, you can I've, tell. I've noticed, yeah, I've noticed that I will give the Lakers coaching staff credit and I will give the Russ credit that they're trying different stuff. And he is cutting more than I've ever seen him cut before. The dip, the problem is that he'd never cut it before. So it's not like that's a huge jump. But yeah, like the number, him, the cutting numbers probably look astronomical right now <laughs> compared to his previous yeah. years. <laughs> but the, the problem, the, and the thing is, like when he does cut, it unlocks this entirely new thing in the offense, right? But the thing is that he doesn't do it consistently and often enough, where like it makes a huge dent. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where the problem lies. And so again, maybe they build these habits over the course of the season. Maybe it changes whenever everyone comes back. So we're still missing four rotation guys. And so like you know. I, I don't know what they are, and I don't. I don't want to make snap judgments, but like right now, they look and they're playing like absolute garbage. All right, enough about the Lakers because we talked about them last pod. I want to talk about some of these other teams. Uh, no offense to your squad. Uh, oh, that's but... fine. I'm done talking about them. I, <laughs> I, I... <laughs> but uh, there's the NBA this year has, in particular, so far has just been stacked with. Every, it seems like every team has a bunch, like a handful of players where I'm just like, oh, this player is really good. Oh, I like this player. I like this player. The East is a bloodbath right now. Uh, the Western Conference, there is a very familiar, very familiar face at the one spot with the Warriors. Uh, I want to go to the top of the Western Conference, actually, because <clears throat> I have to admit at the beginning of the season, I really wasn't worried about the Suns one and three stretch. I want to talk about the Suns first. Um, the Suns started off one and three. Everybody was kind of freaking out. I mean, I wasn't really worried. I, I really, I, I, it's really like, it's really annoying how predictable, like the, you, how, you know, the, how the discourse is going to go, like, especially early in the season, like everybody was freaking out about the Suns and I'm just like, they're coming off of a finals, a rough finals at that. Devin Booker played Team USA. It was going to take a bit for the Suns to find that initial motivation and start a run. And what do you know? After that 1-3 and three start, they are now 13-3. and three. They have won 12 in a row. They are now back in the top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Per cleaning the glass, the Suns are 8th in offensive rating. And they are top three. They are third in defensive rating at 106 or 103.6. Um, the Suns are about where I expect them to be. I thought they were, they should have been one of the favorites going into the season. And the only reason that this 12 game winning streak isn't putting them at the number one seed in the Western Conference is because the Warriors have been fucking amazing. Um, yeah. But. Chris Paul seems to, Chris Paul's been amazing in fourth quarters lately. Devin Booker's been amazing in fourth quarters as well. Um getting these wins against the Dallas Mavericks um and the Timberwolves recently. Just I mean, what can you what what have you liked from the Suns so far? What can you even say about the Suns? I mean, it's very clear they're going to be I for my money, it, these are the two teams that I would bet to be in the Western Conference Finals and then I'd have the Jazz third. I think the Jazz have they they had a little bit of a rough patch there, um, had a bad loss against Miami the other night too. But they've won three in a row, and we all kind of they're wait and see mode. But I think in terms of right now, the Jazz have played the best out of the rest of the teams in the West, except for the Suns and the Warriors. Uh, but yeah, what have you liked from the Suns? 
I like the Suns. Again, I think that the beginning of the season, you can chalk up a lot of this stuff to Devin Booker wasn't playing well with the rule changes. He's kind of adjusted his game a lot, and where he's not he's not hunting for fouls as yeah, much. Yeah, you know, so Ben Taylor pretty... Ben Taylor dropped a video on YouTube today explaining the rule how the rule changes have affected some superstars. That Devin Booker was one of the players you hi- he highlighted. So that's a good that's yeah a good catch. Yeah, he you can tell that he hasn't been like he's starting to find it, but at the beginning yeah, like, he was de- like you, his tricks t- his tricks aren't working as yeah, as well. and like again. I don't blame anyone for like the slow start when anything happens like that. There's a shift. Like, yeah, it's going to happen. I think my my biggest thing calling people on it is when people fail to adjust, and it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do now? Where I think Booker's done a really good job of adjusting and really good job of, of mm-hmm. making sure that he's been like his numbers have. I think I don't. I I haven't looked, but I could assume just by with the eye test and with how I've been watching them that he his numbers are far superior now than they were at the beginning of the season um yeah to start, again i haven't, to, I, haven't to start, I haven't looked yeah. it up but like he just from the eye test it, he is playing a lot better um and so i think you know a lot of that i think is him getting adjusted and him understanding sort of where everything is where he, you know where his his game now fits in this model yeah, overall this overall his numbers overall his numbers are down um on the season um but he has played better the last uh five to seven games but uh, yeah. he's averaging 22 right now, but his field goal is like down to like 43%. He's not taking, he's not, he, he's not as accurate from the rim as he was in uh, the the previous season. I think his rim percentage is down 9% from the previous year. But again, that's kind of that, like it was a thing Ben Taylor highlighted um, where, you know, when you're, when you have a reputation as, someone who's really crafty at getting to the line defenders play you a certain way and you can kind of massage your way to the rim a little bit easier because defenders don't want to foul you well now that there's that extra level of physicality defenders can have players have had to adjust i mean damian lillard uh comes to mind devin booker trey uh trey young james harden and look booker's a mid-range artist and he's a really good three-point shooter, although I think he should take more per game. I mean, he was going to be fine. Chris Paul has been masterful already. <laughs> I think he leads the league in assists at 36, 37 years old. And uh, now that DeAndre Ayton's back in the fold, the su- that's the thing. This streak started with DeAndre Ayton not playing. And so now that De- DeAndre Ayton's healthy and playing again, it's... Uh, the Suns are they're they're gonna be fine. Um, it's just you know, the Golden State Warriors, my Golden State Warriors. I'm, I'm just gonna affectionately call them my Go- Golden State Warriors. <laughs> they are at the top of the league once again. And I don't. Let's do this. <clears throat> I want to have some fun. Uh, let's ha- let's do an off the cuff topic that I will spring on you. We are twenty almost twenty games into the season that's the first quarter quarter mark way of the season um who would be your mvp right now i could give you my i could give you my top five uh but who would be steph and like to me it's steph and it's not close yeah uh, i i agree i think it's steph i would i would go steph i would go katie i would go nikola Jokic. um paul george 
would be fourth for me, and then it's between Jimmy Butler and Demar Derozan for me. For I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say Derozan to me is. I have Derozan. I did. Well. I have Derozan fifth. I did a vi- I did a video on that last week. I've just loved what Derozan's done for the Bulls, and I think he's been the Bulls' best player uh, for a lot of this season. Um, but Jimmy Butler's right there. He's been awesome this year. But yeah, to me, Steph is the MVP, and. It's, I just, I love this. I, I, I love that Kevin Durant is not on the Warriors anymore. Not because I hated that Kevin Durant joined the Warriors. In fact, I wanted that to happen. I wanted to see madness. I wanted to see salt. I wanted to see people get mad uh, as this video game team was destroying the league. So maybe I'm just maniacal in that way. But with KD gone, we can now reappreciate just how great of a player Stephen Curry is. Uh, it's He is not just clearly the best shooter of all time. We don't talk about him as a scorer, which we absolutely should. He's leading the league in scoring, and he has two scoring, champion, uh, two scoring titles. He is, once again, the head of the snake on one of the best teams in the NBA. He is squarely in the tier of Giannis Durant, Jokic those like top tier those the grandfather tier franchise players and then there's the tier one franchise players that you can build a contender around but those four and then LeBron if he shows me something different over the next two months but like Steph's incredible man and pretty soon like I'm gonna have to boot some people out of my top 10 to put Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry in because what Durant is doing also is pretty fucking spectacular and the fact that he came back from an Achilles injury like and he's putting up the best offensive percentages of his career like it's sort of wild if you think about it but yeah once again the Warriors are back it's it's crazy I I didn't expect it to click this fast I think the I think the thought was once Clay comes back then we'll start to see this type of Warriors team no, we're seeing this type of Warriors team now. Players are getting better. Kaminga is starting to get more minutes. And Klay Thompson's not even back yet, dude. It's scary. Like, I I know people have reservations about the offense. Uh, me and my friend were talking about it. Like, you know, do you trust Iggy in the playoffs on offense? Do you trust Draymond on offense in the play? I do trust those players because they're smart basketball players. And when you have yeah. two of the greatest shooters of all time, like normal spacing does not apply to the Warriors. Like it's not your usual like who, which shooter do you tag off of to to you do you help off of to help in the paint or whatever. Like the rules of space are different for the Warriors, and that's why I'm kind of of the mindset that well, you know, if a Ben Simmons trade if Say, hypothetically, Simmons ended up on the Warriors. I think Simmons and Draymond could play together because Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson garnered that much attention. But, like, that was just a side note. But uh, that the Warriors are back, man. And I think they are – if it wasn't for the Suns' 12-game winning streak, I think those two are the clear favorites. But I think the Warriors – I right now I think the Warriors are the prohibitive favorite to come out of the West. That's just my – my thoughts a quarter into the season on them yeah i think that i think that's and a Steph's very, the mvp very take. i think steph the mvp is like a steph has to lose the mvp at this point like i yeah. don't think 
I don't think anyone's going to catch him if he continues on this rate, which is insane. Dude, the um, Raptor, the Raptors game last night, the Raptors played the Warriors in Shea Center. Their whole plan was to basically double Steph wherever he was. And Steph Curry was like 2 of 10. He shot like 1 for 6 from 3. But the Warriors still kicked the Raptors' ass. <laughs> because yeah. you're, the box and one shit worked in the finals when it was Curry, DeMarcus Cousins, Alfonso McKinney, and a bun- Quinn Cook, and a bunch of bench guys because everybody was hurt. Now you can't do that shit with Steph anymore. Not these last two seasons. like Not like the last two seasons. And no. now Kerr is somehow going to unlock borderline all-star Andrew Wiggins? Like, Wiggins yeah, has crazy. been fucking spectacular for them. And the thing is, they don't need him to be number one pick potential star Andrew Wiggins. Like, the guy will get you his 19 a night like he always has his whole career but now he's a better three-point shooter, and he's a legitimately very good defender, like borderline elite sometimes. Like, this team is going to be really good. And it's so funny because, like, we talked about this. I thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be this defender his whole career. Same. Same. Everybody, everybody, including myself. I'm glad we're finally seeing it because, like, again, I I, (laughs) – in the same way, in the same way that remember we were like, oh, Marvin Bagley and and James Wiseman, and then Evan Mobley, where it's like these three bigs coming out, and you're like, oh yeah, oh, okay. I forgot to mention James right. Wiseman isn't even back yet. Either. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember, remember, like again, it's go with me on this example, right? We're all everyone was like, oh wow, Marvin Bagley, right? And then everyone's mm-hmm. like, the next year, everyone's like, oh wow, James Wiseman, right? Then they kept going down this thing. It's like, okay, finally, Evan Mobley's like the dude, right? Mm-hmm. Where it, for a couple years it felt that way where i was like i was a big michael kid go chris guy we talked about it i was like yeah and i was like oh this is the dude this is like the defensive wing this is the dude and it's like oh no it's not and yeah. then and then we get and then we get wiggins and i was like oh yeah wiggins is the dude like wiggins is gonna be like this defense like the next great defensive wing like yes here we go and he wasn't it mm-hmm. and i was like and, and and now like finally we're seeing the what everyone kind of knew he could be yeah, and like and the thing is, like he always showed, and even in Minnesota, he showed flashes of it. We were like, "Oh, dude, he can, he oh, can yeah. like stick with anyone." Ask, o- like, ask it- Oklahoma City Thunder fans. Andrew Wiggins would make a routine of just killing the Thunder <laughs> in every regular season game they played against each other. There were teams where Andrew Wiggins would just look like a superstar <laughs> against against the, but he was just too damn inconsistent and was not a good defender. Like it's. The the of the other the Wiseman thing too like you don't need Wiseman to post up anymore like the once they stopped doing that and Wiseman got hurt last year and they were like all right let's run our shit that we know how to run they took off and now Wiseman can come in and look I know it's not going to be cool for the nineteen and twenty year olds to be like oh, I just have to run screen run the floor and dunk and get offensive rebounds what what what's going to happen to my touches. Look, it's working. Like, it's obvious the Warriors going back to formula, like, you know, Harry Osborne and Spider-Man. It, yeah. It's, it's it's working for them. And, um, hey, man, screen for Steph and get out the way. Yeah. That's your fucking job. Screen for – also, like, I don't want to take Steph for granted anymore. Like, the dude has 38 games where he's made nine or more three-pointers. And Insanity. the next – Guy, the next guy with the second highest is James Harden and Clay Thompson. They're tied for nine games. 
Like, it's insane. Like, this guy is stretching the limits of what scoring is, what basketball is. Like, I'm just I'm just glad we're getting this second act to uh, Stephen Curry's career. I've always thought, like, during the Durant years, yeah, Durant, you could say, was the better player, like, the better talent. I always thought Steph was the most important warrior still on those teams because oh, – yeah. Right. Because people just great. people just ignore the jump. Like people admire the jump from good to great, but nobody talks about how hard the jump is from great to historically great is. Yeah. And that's what Steph made the Warriors. Like the number, the on-off numbers bore it out. The eye test and film bore it out. Like Steph was the most important player on the Warriors to me. And yeah, that's that- always the distinction I made of like I would rather have Durant as a like I think Durant is the better player and like I you know if if I'm gonna pick a player to have I want Durant but Steph is the most important player on that team. But in terms and I don't, of like argue that, but in terms of like the tier that I have the tier that the tier grandfather I have is the it's called grandfather which means you're grandfathered into the upper echelon of the elites for me and yeah. to me those players have legitimate cases that you can bring to like you can have like a 15-man jury deliberation and all that stuff those to me players in that tier have a legitimate case as best player in the world and Steph has always had that and now that he is back leading the charge leading a great team a potential uh definitely a finals to me a finals contender it's it's just sweet to see I'm just glad we have Steph I'm just glad the greatest show in sports is like back in full throttle. You got a taste of it like the last three months of the season, but now like full 2014, 20, pre Kevin Durant, post Mark Jackson Warriors, that little two year stretch, they're back and it's glorious. I love it. Yep, and we're, it's gonna keep going too. They have a they they have a lot more to go. Clay's going through full contact is supposed to be going through full like five on five contact practice like all week. It looks yeah, he'll like be back a, in the new year. By see yeah, Christmas or the new year. Like watch out. <laughs> watch out. Yeah, be scary. Maybe scary. Oh yeah, scary hours as the cool kids say. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm in I'm into it. I like it. I'm enjoying it. Uh the team again, I, and I was I, we had this discussion before the season started. the The team that I just have just the most fun watching is the fucking Bulls. I can't. Oh, I can't stop watching Bulls the Bulls. I can't stop watching the Bulls. They're so they fun. are so much fun to watch. They're so fun, and the thing is, like, they've answered the question of they've already answered the question of what about defensively? Because offensively, I didn't think they would. They, I, they would have had to figure some stuff out, obviously. But I thought it would be relatively, like, they would still be a good offense while they were figuring stuff out. Defensively, they are a menace. Like, they are the... They're swarming. They, if, unless you're the Golden State Warriors, if you try to match skill ball or small ball against the Bulls, you're screwed. Because I think the Bulls have probably the second or third best small ball combination of lineups they can go to in the NBA. Like, mm-hmm. And even with the Warriors... Like Caruso and Lonzo can liter can chase have the like the smarts and the intelligence and and the the kind of anticipation skills to chase step around. They're not no one can slow them down. That's not the, that's not what I'm saying. But they have the they can they can probably do it the best of any team in the NBA. 
to yeah. chase him down and chase him around all game. Well, as you saw in that Bulls Warriors game, it didn't work for long. But yes, no, they, they but do like, have the they, personnel. They can hold it off. They can hold it off for longer than anyone else can. Yeah, they just can't have offensive stretches <laughs> like they did in that Warriors game where they just got smoked. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I love, I love that. It's weird, like, all their skills weirdly mesh together. The Vucevic injury, I think, has given Billy an opportunity. Billy Donovan, the head coach, has had an opportunity now to mix and match and just experiment with shit. And, like, Derek Jones Jr. as the de facto center has worked out. Um, Tony Bradley's giving him some nice minutes, uh, spot minutes, um, token starter mm-hmm. minutes. Um, Javante Green has been really... He's been really good for the Bulls replacing Patrick Williams, who went down uh, for looks like most of the season with a wrist injury. Like, the fact that they could go to so many combinations and Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso are just absolute menaces on the defensive. Mm-hmm. Like, we all we all knew that. Um, and, you know, Laker fans like yourself or, you know, people, hoops junkies, they knew that Alex Caruso was just more than a meme. Because I, I swear, I've... I've seen like, you know, like, oh, uh, why are people hyping up the Caru- like Caruso was a good, you know, role player and stuff. I'm like, yeah, Caruso kind of does more than like he does the role player stuff at an elite level. Like it's not yeah. just like, oh, Caruso is not like, oh, Caruso. It's not like a it's not like a, you know, meme or something or like, oh, the Caruso and we're exaggerating. Like Caruso was a legitimately good player for the Lakers and the Bulls have him on a value contract. Lonzo Ball has finally found his home. And the people, the person who's benefited from this all is DeMar DeRozan, whose skills weirdly intersect with all the other skill players on the Bulls. Zach Levine can work off ball more, which is he's really fucking good at it and um, can get his shots easier that way. DeMar DeRozan's the best passer in the half court on that team aside from Lonzo, but I think DeRozan is more of a better half court initiator because of his game. Um, He's a mid-range artist. He's been clutch for the – DeMar DeRozan leads the NBA in total fourth quarter points by a mile. Like, they've been awesome. And this is with Nikola Vucevic playing like 2008 Anderson Verizal on offense. Yes. And – even then, Vooch is still important for the Bulls because he's a secondary playmaker. He could at least stretch the floor and space and the floor and battle for rebounds. He's been, he's been more active than I thought he would he's been, have been. Yeah, he's I thought been he was going to be a net negative. Well, yeah, in drop coverage, he's been really good. But if you get him switched out, he's going to get – he whenever he's been yeah, he switched out this year, but he I mean, gets like that, alive. We expected yeah. that. I think yeah. the thing is with me is like he provides a really important uh, rim, like a rim threat for them to at least like you can, you can funnel them into Vooch with they which is what they've been doing, which is fine. Yep. I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. And with ball and Caruso, just absolutely hounding, Fucking beating people, up every guard, yeah. hounding, they're just hounding people. And it's, it, they're probably one team. If you want to talk about the rule changes, that's one team that's probably benefited from that is because Caruso and Lonzo ball can like, play better to their strengths with that extra layer or two layers of physicality that's allowed. And mm-hmm. Caruso's just been, <laughs> he's been beating the shit out of some people. Like not like, lit- well, yeah, literally, but also literally, like yeah. without fouling, like it's, it's really, it's been impressive. And uh, yeah, David Griffin sucks as a general manager. <laughs> Man, I don't know how, and it looks more and more embarrassing. Like I don't know how you let Lonzo walk for nothing. I told my friend this, but they let 
They let Lonzo walk so Nikhil Alexander Walker can run and shoot thirty seven percent from the field for a season. Oh my god! <laughs> and the thing is, like the the thing is too, like I am a believer in Nikhil Alexander Walker. Like I like him a lot, but okay, man, how, like, okay, how much do you believe? Like, what is his I, optimal I ceiling is, as a player? I think he is because I think he's like a third NBA guard. starter. I think he's like a decent NBA starter. I think. If he's DJ Augustine, I'm fine. Yeah, DJ Augustine, that's a rotation bench guard. That's all right, I guess. But you're gonna like let D, you're gonna let D, you're gonna keep DJ Augustine and let Lonzo Ball walk. Is no, what that's David not, Griffin yeah. was saying. <laughs> no, like my, okay, my thing is. I know you're not saying that. Like, David Griffin think, was like, yes. I, <laughs> yeah, like I think I think Nikhil Alexander Walker is DJ Augustine. We're like, hey, he is a decent starter. You'd re- he's a really good backup. And a rotation guy, or he could be a decent starter for like a mid to bad team. Is that fair? Is that a fair assessment of Nikhil? Well, okay. Is that a fair assessment of DJ Augustine? Yeah, like yeah. DJ Augustine has been on some mid tier mid tier teams. That's fine. Yeah, I I would probably agree with that. The thing that I will, the thing that I, the thing I'll say too about DJ Augustine that I really appreciate, and I think I think this goes unrecognized by a lot of people, and I think I think it's not fair, is. DJ Augustine's been around a minute. And oh, yeah. When you're, He's when been you, in the league for you, a long time. Yeah, when you, he came in with Durant. Yeah, like, he was Kevin Durant's you, teammate in Texas. La- yeah. When you, land, when, you, when you land and you can be in the NBA this long, like, I, I That's I a good respect. career. Yeah, I have mad respect. Like yeah. when you can hang on this long, and like the thing is, see, it's not just like he's hanging on. Like he is, he has had like a very decent NBA career. Oh yeah, and like I'm like, dude, you're fine. Like you're good. I agree. I'd I rather... agree with your assessment about Nikhil Alexander Walker. I'm just saying you're letting him. You're choosing him oh, yeah. over David Griffin's Lonzo choosing Ball. that over Lonzo Ball and watching yeah, Devontae Graham. Odd. Like you know, he's been better. No, a little not bit just as... watching. They traded for him. Yeah, they yeah, that's true. They trade they uh they did trade for him. They had to do a sign and trade or whatever it was. They gave up a pick for him. They gave up a pick. This is okay, so as somebody who watched Brian Colangelo fuck off all of Sam Hinkie's assets, like slow drain it. Like it's a like just yeah. a slow drip. This is what David Griffin is exact this is exactly what David Griffin is doing. Like he is slow burning all of his assets he signs steven adams to a contract he never should have signed him to in the first place and then he gives up a pick to get rid of steven adams oh cool you acknowledged your mistake that you shouldn't have made in the first place and then you know then you trade lonzo ball and give up a pick like he's been making so many questionable decisions and it's a death by a thousand paper cuts type of situation where you're slowly burning your assets and pretty soon Zion's going to get pissed. I don't know how long Brandon Ingram is going to stand for this, for losing. Um, I did see I, for the, so for the first time in like three months, I saw an actual like decent, incredible fake Ben Simmons trade. It's a, so think about this. So a three team deal, Stay with me here. A three-team deal between the Sacramento Kings, the Sixers, and the Pelicans. The Kings would get Ben Simmons. The Sixers would get Brandon Ingram. And the Pelicans would get De'Aaron Fox. Now, I actually like that a lot. Right? For everyone. I, I kind of do like that a lot. 
Now, De'Aaron Fox has kind of struggled out of the gate, and I still think he can. I still think there's a world in which he works out as a good as a good player on a good Sacramento team. But with the way it's going right now, and the fact that Monty McNair didn't draft De'Aaron Fox, I don't know how many more years Monty would be willing to wait. But that is a good deal. Now, this fake trade also threw some picks in there for the Sixers. I don't know why would we get extra picks out of that. Maybe it could happen. But in terms of that baseline deal, I like that deal quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm not going to lie. That's uh, that's actually like a pretty fire deal. Well, I guess the Sixers would get a first-round pick because David Griffin just likes throwing shit in there like it's candy on Halloween. It's like, oh, <laughs> you, know those, you know those bowls outside? Uh, outside of the house take, take just one take just one you like david griffin's like here take whatever pick you want the sixers are like oh we'll take three <laughs> that's that that would be realistic but no um yeah uh i just i can't believe the bulls just made out with these i really like, like i said i like the bulls off season quite a bit i just didn't know they'd be obviously i don't think even the highest bulls optimist you know, thought they would start off this well. They're t- they're they have the best record in the conference right now, or tied for the best. You know who else I didn't yeah. see coming? The Washington Wizards, too. By the way, yeah. Where did that come from? I've been watching, I've been watching more of their games over the last two weeks, and like their defense has Are really they, stuck out to me. They, so here's here's the, here's my theory, and here here's what I, I want to hear. I want to hear your thoughts, but here's my theory first, right? Okay. Are they are they this year's Knicks where they're just trying harder than everyone else and then when the playoffs come they're just going to like everyone's trying hard and they're going to get slapped. The reason I don't think they will get slapped like the I understand that corollary. The Wizards are playing a bit harder. Um definitely they have a different energy about them than Scott than when they were being coached by Scott Brooks and the fact that Russell Westbrook is not there anymore commandeering a lot of the usage load uh, aside from Bradley Beal but the reason I say they don't get slapped like the Knicks is because I see right now they are 17th in offensive rating I have to look at the uh, I have to look at the numbers again Um, no they're 21st in offensive rating per cleaning the glass and I think they could actually get better because Bradley Beal has struggled to shoot the ball quite frankly coming out of the gate He's shooting 42% from the field and 29%, 28% from three. And I just don't think that's going to last long, even though he was also another one of those players affected by, you know, going to his bag of tricks and grifting for fouls. Um, but Bradley Beal can get better. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is still recovering from that knee surgery. And he's been playing more. He's been playing a bit better recently. Uh, there. The difference between this year's Wizards, the diff where I disagree is the Wizards have pathways to get better on offense, where I think the Knicks' offensive ceiling was pretty clear, even when they... It's just Julius Randle? Yeah, even even they started... People forget the Knicks started off slow last year. They were like three games under... They were like 11 and 14 at one point, and then they just turned it up. They Their defense was top... Their defense was a top seven defense. It's not. It's nowhere near that this year. It's it's actually been pretty bad. I watched the Knicks Rockets game on Saturday. Just as a side note, it was one of the worst fucking games I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was it was awful. It was a. I think it was a thirteen to thirteen by the end of the first quarter. It was that bad, dude. 
It was Yikes. it was bad. And the Rockets were leading by seven at one point. Like that it was some bad basketball. And it was it, of course it was at it, it was a two PM Pacific time game, five five PM Eastern time. So of course the start time might have had something to do with it, but I think the Wizards have different pathways to even get better. And their defense is already top notch. I like their ball movement more on offense than under Scott Brooks. And there's something to be said. Like people thought, oh, the Wizards, and you could probably throw me in this category because I thought it a little bit, but the, everyone was like, the Wizards got, you know, the Lakers scraps or whatever. Montrez Harrell, no, is, a, good pieces. Montrez Harrell is a regular season innings eater. Like he's going to give you energy on every, he's always going to have energy. And on that fourth game in five nights or whatever, he's going to outwork the entire team, um, outwork the entire opposing team or whatever. Um, you know, Kyle Kuzma became a really good defensive player um, in his last rebounder and really good rebounder. He should just stick to spot up shooting and coming off of screens. His free throw shooting is a mystery to me, but because um, it's been it's been bad this year and he's had some bad misses. I've seen him. I've seen him airball a free throw and I've seen him brick a free throw off the backboard so badly that Jerry West has a concussion. Um, but Kuzma has been good uh KCP always a solid veteran you could say what you want about is he you know how good is he or whatever he's just a solid two-way veteran can shoot when he's at he has a quick trigger from three and can defend Spencer Dinwiddie really good he's a really good guard he needs he just needs to you know knock the rust off Bradley Beal Roy Hachimura isn't even back yet he's uh just now starting God, to I want to see we've We've talked about this before. I love Rui Hachimura so much. I just want to see him healthy yeah. and, like, get on a roll. Yeah, and also there's um, – I'm pretty sure he's been dealing with, you know, personal reasons and conditioning. Like, I, there, was a, there was a – I believe it was reported there was a mental health component to it. So yeah. Rui's just now coming back and conditioning and stuff, but he's not even back yet. Corey Kispert has been – a solid rookie in the rotation. Nothing spectacular. And also West Unsell Jr., which is kind of cool that he's the coach of the team because his dad was a legend for the Wizards. Um he, it, he's just been he's just been a breath of fresh air compared to Scott Brooks. And I really fucks with this Wizards team now. And all of a sudden, Bradley Beal might stay. And now that they they keep playing this way, and there's obvious room for improvement, you can see legit pathways to improvement. I like Aaron Holiday still, even though he's kind of the third or fourth guard in the rotation behind you know Dinwiddie and Neto and Howell Neto. Like this, I really I really enjoy this Wizards team so far. They, I've watched the last five minutes of that Wizards Heat game uh, over the weekend, and that crowd in Washington was jumping, like the Heat. Blew like a nine point lead with like four minutes left, and Spencer Dinwiddie hit like three straight threes, and the crowd was just going nuts. And the Wizards pulled it out at the end. This team is going to be, I really, they've been the to me, they've been the pleasant surprise of the season so far. Yeah, I, I like them. Um, the the team that I'm like perplexed about, well. I'm not even gonna say pros. Like, well, forget it. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like not gonna make snap judgments yet. But uh, you're not gonna what? See more of. I I want to see more. 
from the from the Hornets. The Hornets are one team that I'm waiting for. This sort of like I don't I don't know what they are yet because I see them be really good some nights and I see them sometimes like they struggle in, in stretches in games. No, because they have one of the worst defenses in the NBA. It's kind of yeah. Uh, that's it's not um they're twentieth, which is you know they're like a few points per possession away from like being twenty fifth, and like yeah. They're a Miles Turner team to me. Like, okay. I, th- I think they should make a move for Miles Turner or make that, a move I mean, for been, Christian they've been, Wood. They've been, to, they've been trying to upgrade that center position for who knows how long now. Yeah. I mean, I like Mason Plumley as more of a backup center. Backup center I think yeah. he's a really good passer. I think he's athletic. I think he's really good in the backup position. I think uh, that kind of bore out when he was backing up Jokic in Denver. Um but uh, I think they need an upgrade at that position. And I think Miles Turner, he's been fantastic this year. I still don't know what the hell this Pacers team is. Um, and, you know, does Sabonis and Turner work together and all this stuff? It seems like they are just content with just letting misfit toys just keep playing together. But Turner has been fantastic defensively. He's been fantastic shooting the ball. He's gotten a little bit better and more comfortable attacking closeouts. Um, when he's run off the three-point line. But, like, the pick-and-pops and the offensive creativity surrounding the LaMelo-Turner pick-and-pop and how Borrego can kind of work off that, I think the Hornets would take off at that point. Because Miles Bridges has been a most improved player candidate. LaMelo mm-hmm. Ball, Ball has taken another leap, even though he can't play defense for shit right now. Um He's relying all on his basketball IQ and anticipation. Which is terrible, which is terrible because he's getting burned a lot. And also he's real thin. He's getting – bigger guards just take him to the rack. Um, Yeah. We'll see how – All of his defense is all gamble. I could see – there are games where you could see James Borrego just like – you could just tell he wants to stick his head in a blender (laughs) when LaMelo just takes these – Really just – some of the gambles are ridiculous. Like, Russell Westbrook wouldn't even try that. He'd be like, damn, dog. <laughs> like, I'm not yeah, trying like that. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's diving at pump fakes. He's diving at all kinds of stuff. You're like, man, yeah. what are you doing? But, yeah. But, I mean, for a second-year guard and a 20-year-old, he looks pretty fucking good right now. I love Lolo. Oh, yeah. um, you know, Terry Rozier. Like, they have these offensive pieces, and if they could just tie it together with – a defensive center and a player like Turner who is on a really, you know, valuable contract given that he's basically a jumbo size three and D player. Like I would, I would look to make a move if I were the Hornets. The question is who it you give be. up, of course. Gordon, get Gordon Hayward. Uh, I don't know how you would reconcile giving up. I think Gordon Hayward would hurt the Hornets actually quite a bit. Cause he's their second best playmaker. Like Gordon Hayward is like, yeah. He, but like my thing is like if it's a it's a if it's a move for the future. Like if you're if you view this as like a move to for the future, like how long? Or like Gordon Hayward's not going to be there around. I I wouldn't think long term. So like for me, if I'm thinking if I'm the Hornets, I'm going okay. You're, well, you're, the thing the thing that would scare me is you're leaving the franchise <clears throat> in the hands LaMelo. completely to Lamelo. When I think Lamelo needs you know, supplementary playmaking and stuff. And Hayward has been, he's been good. I just have a, I just have a, I just have a, like at this point, like, you know who your superstar is. Like, you know who your future of your franchise is and like just hand him the keys. But then, yeah, that, but then 
Yeah, that is that's fair. But then you would have to ask yourself, like, okay, would trading Hayward really shake up, you know, what we have? Because the Hornets are ten and eight; they're sixth in the Eastern Conference, uh, fifth in the Eastern Conference. Excuse me, right now. Um, and Hayward's been a big part of that. So, like, do you trade? Do you trade maybe Terry Rozier and um, PJ Washington or some moves like that? Uh, it's because uh, to me, like. Miles Bridges is really going to cash out this summer, by the way. Uh, he's going to cash out. I would look at keeping those three, LaMelo, Hayward, and Bridges, and try to s- figure out some way to get Turner in the mix with those three because I think that would be just be – that would be fantastic. Um, you know, you could still have your – you could still have your uh, – who is it? Caleb Martin – I believe is on the Hornets still. Cody's on the uh, Miami Heat. Um, I might be getting those two mixed up. Uh, I, I think you're right. The twins, the twin, the twins get me. Um, it took me a while to figure. It took me like three years to figure out which one was, you know, Markeith and which one was Marcus oh. <laughs> and stuff. Um, so, but yeah, um, you know, Jalen McDaniels. Uh, they, they, you could, you know. There's some rotation players in there that could grow into their roles when you lose, like when you trade away like Rogier or somebody like that. I don't know. I think the Hornets should be making a play for a, like Turner is one of those players where he kind of fits the age timeline, but also isn't a albatross contract. He's actually really valuable. So. Well, I was saying like, if you just flip, if you flip him and Hayward, like it gives you, if you then turn miles Turner into your, like your, your LaMelo Robin, right. Mm-hmm. Then you have that duo that's closer age-wise. The contract's better. Um, you can, fl- you know, like it, it just lines up more with the timeline. And like, if you're looking at pieces around Lamelo, it just like Hayward's the kind of odd man out, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's the only reason why I, it's not me saying anything about Hayward as a player. Oh, to yeah, me, it's I just know. a thing of like. To me, it's just a thing of like it just fits better timeline-wise. Um, and and again, it it also gives sort of a veteran presence that you can put with that with that Pacers locker room too yeah um so Turner's 25 and the last year of his contract is the 2022-23 season where he's making 17 and a half million dollars that's pretty good for somebody who is averaging three three blocks a game shooting 40 percent from three on four and a half attempts per game like he's been he's been good for the Pacers this year it's just that you know the Pacers, we don't really know what they are, and they're seven and eleven right now, so nobody's really paying attention to them. But there could be the Pacers could low key be a you know sell it all team if you know they keep not sliding like this. But they are thirteenth in the East right now, and the East is like eleven deep. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. There's um, a lot of teams. I'm also really bummed out, not to switch topics rapidly, but I'm really bummed out about the Evan Mobley injury. Yeah. I thought he was – he started really separating himself as the rookie of the year. And not only that, like, imagine Evan Mobley being a detrimental loss to the Cavs. Like, he's their everything on defense. And, you know, wasn't a slouch offensively either. But on defense, he tied everything together and allowed the Cavs to play – this weird big ball lineup before marketing got COVID. And now that he's out with this elbow injury, 
the Cavs are sort of left and Colin Sexton now out. So you've lost some scoring punch as well. The Cavs are kind of, uh, they're kind of gasping for water, gasping for air right now. Yeah. They went from like, they went from like being a very scary out to like being back to the Cavs. Yeah. And they're still going to play hard. I mean, they're up 10 against Brooklyn right now as we speak, which is kind of crazy, but I still, I love Darius Garland. Um, I think he's, he's one of the best young point guards in the NBA. They still have some stuff and they still have their identity. So if they could just tread water until Mobley gets back that they, the Cavs will, you know, start playing better, get it. Once they get their guys back, um, they'll have to figure out how to replace sex and scoring, but starting Rubio and Garland together has been a better combination anyway. Um, just has been a better combination to supplement, you know, Sexton's absence so we'll see but a lot of interest a lot of uh nine and eight teams from six through ten they're all tied at nine and eight like the east is so much better I think overall I think the east is just better than the west I think the west has the two best teams in the NBA but if you're talking about comparing the overall talent of conferences the east is pretty clearly better in my mind I, I can agree with that. Wait, sorry. I know it's five thirty, but I wanted to. I forgot to mention this. Um, yeah, go for it. So, the Denver Post reported today that it turns out Michael Porter's back injury. There might be a nerve issue in his back, and that could put his season in jeopardy. It really sounds like that's like a career-threatening thing. Yes especially when he's had two back surgeries already, you know, yes. college in, in college. And then obviously when he got drafted. Well, the one, the one thing when he got drafted, it was the, so I, I know you probably talked to people too. Everyone that I've talked to that had like inside knowledge on the back injuries. That no, I, have he got no, drafted. I have no inside knowledge on this. <laughs> so I, th- I talked to a couple people that had like some inside knowledge on that. And they were saying, it was some of like the worst medical they've ever seen. Oh yeah, that was reported a lot. Yeah, a lot like of, like some yeah in the pre-draft process. Yeah, like that he literally just like his back could break at any point in time, which is sad because mm. he's incredibly talented. But like, you know, who knows? Yeah, we saw that talent. Like, and apparently he's been playing with it all season. He was averaging. I'm pretty sure it was a ghastly like nine points per game this season. It was just wasn't it just wasn't Michael Porter Jr. It, you could tell immediately. Like last year, Michael Porter Jr. took a leap and was one of the best shooters in the NBA at six ten. And it just sucks that, you know, this this could be really serious. Like I'm not a doctor or anything, but when you have a a back injury history like that. And now sourced reporting from the Denver post is saying that it could be a nerve issue. That, that sucks for brief, for like a brief nine game stretch last year, we saw what a fully healthy nuggets team could look like. I wanted to pick the nuggets to come out of the West. And then Jamal Murray hurts his knee against the golden state warriors last year. And now Michael Porter jr. Could be out with the back. Like, Aaron Gordon now all of a sudden is your second best option, which was not the role he was going to be casted in. 
<laughs> and now Jokic is having to do everything. And Jokic has gotten better. Like, it's fucking crazy that Jokic has gotten better. But now look, the Nuggets fans were thinking, you know, we have a three to four ch- year championship window now with Gordon being extended, locking in Michael Porter Jr. Wow, he locked in that contract with, and then this back injury happens. Like, now I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah, I'm with you. And it, it it's sad because, again, I, I was a big believer in Michael Porter Jr., I oh, was I was too. It. The injuries was just the one thing that scared me off, you know. Yeah, like I, you know, it's sad. It's very sad. And again, like, like they I, were, I, the Sixers fucked up in that 2018 draft for a bunch of reasons, trading away Mikael Bridges to get Zaire Smith, who you know, through no fault of his own, Zaire had a deadly allergy reaction, but he's out of the league. But. The Sixers also could have taken Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Michael Porter Jr. I would have liked the gamble there. And for a while, that gamble looked like it was going to work. And uh, that's just the way the NBA is sometimes. It sucks. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's uh, it's real sad to see. And, like, again, I I still hope for the best. He's talented. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he comes back and he comes back healthy and, and can continue a long career. But I, this is going to be a running issue where I think it's going to limit him his whole his whole career. So, yeah. Sad. Had a back in- so, sorry, just for timeline's sake. He had a back injury that required surgery in his freshman season at Missouri. Then he underwent a second back surgery after he was uh, picked by the Denver Nuggets. And that, side- that obviously sidelined-, sidelined him for that whole rookie season, that whole 2018-19 season. Um so this is not this is not looking good. It's kind of scary, but I hope Michael Porter Jr. gets well, and I want to see him play uh, basketball. I want to see the full healthy Nuggets team, the full load, as Paul Pierce would say. The full load. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> Jordan Christmas, the full load. <laughs> so, any other topics you want to touch on, or? Uh, uh, can you tell me if if Jonathan Kaminga is the full load? I'm not even going to answer that question. Because <laughs> I know what's coming. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. You should just end the podcast or you're going to get awkward dead, dead air for 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for a lot, lot listening and watching. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. B.O.B.